And welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the newest episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. And if my voice sounds happy today, it's because I am happy. We beat Spurs. And we also won in another London derby also, which is always great news as Chelsea fans. and something that we haven't been able to say all season long. And, Two London and, derby victories And in because a row. I'm back. That's another reason why you're happy, right? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The biggest part. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. I thought I thought you were going to lead off with that. That was probably the most important. Or maybe you that saved was, the best for last. You finally realize that this podcast is more important than law school, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's only I'm only here because it's my spring break right now, so you guys are lucky. <laughs> just, a, just a really quick caveat before we get – or actually – Andres, I didn't even introduce you. Oh, yeah. my, my apologies. I'll take all, all the you – know, I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. i got to take up my you know, my stardom, but go ahead. You can introduce Andres if you like. <laughs> Andres, how you doing, man? Fantastic. Two wins on the bounce. Hoping we can come out of this week with two more. It's, it's a good feeling again to be a Chelsea fan. Yeah, and it feels like it's the first time in a long time. We actually feel so good about ourselves. We're going to record two episodes this week. So um, that's actually what I was going to get to. So this episode is going to have both match reviews from both the Spurs match and the West London Derby against Fulham. Um, and then make sure to check out our other episode where we go over our match uh, re- or match previews excuse me, for the Dynamo Kiev match coming up on Thursday as well as the Wolverhampton Wanderers match coming up on Sunday the 10th. Um, and then we also have a few Twitter questions that are, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're doozies, aren't they? I mean, yeah, good questions they're, they're, this week. they're pretty, very, very good questions. So we decided instead of cramming it all in one really long flaccid episode, we would cram it in two short flaccid episodes. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but anyways, I mean, Sam, do you want to, you, you want to lead the way? Yeah, man. I mean, I might've lost my touch from being gone for so long, but I, I'll give it a shot. So what a great, great match to recap. We got 2-0 victory over the Spurs. I'll go through the starting lineup real quick, as I usually do. In goal, we got Willie Caballero, um, Kepa sitting out, which was, I mean, at the start of the match, that was kind of the first thing that everyone noticed, Kepa not playing after the uh, nonsense that happened the week before. Then the back line, we got Dave Rudiger, David Luiz and Marcos Alonso, midfield of Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic, and a front three of Eden Hazard, Pedro, and Higuain. Uh, so we pretty much dominated this match. Um, let me go through the stats as well real quick. 11 shots, one on target versus the Spurs, nine shots without a single one on target. Um, it's pretty funny. You know, if, if you didn't watch the match, you'd you'd see that one shot on target from us and say, Why, how did we win 2-0? Uh, <laughs> it's because we didn't score well, both of our goals. <laughs> that, that that stat is actually wrong. So the Spurs had nine total shots and then negative one on target. Oh, <laughs> negative <laughs> one on target. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. Then uh, so we won 57% of aerial duels, 27 tackles won compared to the Spurs 23, um, 12 dribbles attempted, and uh, seven completed. So. This match and the previous match, the Man City matchup, we really did see a change in tactics, which was something that I don't think any of us expected from Sari, um, given how how stubborn he's been this whole season. Um, Zach, I'll start off with you. What did we see from Sari and the team tactically in this match that was a little bit different from before? I think I think we're finally starting to get the best use out of Conte in that midfield. Um, or at, defensively at least so i know there's a lot of people are going to jump on my back and i agree with you conte should be playing as the defensive mid because he's the best in the world but let's be honest with ourselves it's just not going to happen in the system it's not going to happen with sorry but this tactical setup that he had against spurs has to be that blueprint to beat the top six side so but we basically had was we had a midfield three of conte kovacic and Jorginho. right Jorginho was playing the regista role I noticed in the first half, Conte was actually the highest midfielder up the pitch at all times, both defensively and when we and when Spurs turned the ball over and we were on the counter. Um, usually that doesn't work because what would happen is Conte would push up, he would press on the right-hand side, Kovacic would press on the left-hand side, and then it's just a simple wall pass uh, to bypass our midfield, and then all of a sudden they're 2v1 in against Jorginho. Um, 
which I mean, we all know is the, the main reason why Jorginho is getting scapegoated every single or was getting scapegoated every single week. But now in this game, we actually saw Conte doing all the pressing and Kovacic would actually drop off next to Jorginho and they were pl actually playing the passing lanes. They weren't pressing. So what they were doing is they were trying to to negate the threat of uh, Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen, who were both playing up the middle and both of them barely got on the ball. Um, and they were holding their defensive positions really, really well. And what we were essentially doing was forcing them to play wide to Sun and Lamella as their main points of attack, which we also covered very well. And we'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about Marcus Alonso, who became Superman uh, against Spurs in that match. But of course, later in the game, Conte dropped a bit deeper, especially when Loftus Cheek came on. And then, you know, the the tactical setup that we started the match with basically stopped because. Um, Spurs did start to gain a rhythm as we started to get tired legs. But to start the match, I mean, Spurs couldn't establish a rhythm for the first maybe 30 minutes of it. Um, the whole team were putting in shifts all over the pitch. And, I mean, if you want proof, just look at Pedro's last-ditch tackle where he ran all the way basically into his own penalty area and nicked the ball off Lamella. Amazing with, tackle. With Amazing. this ridiculous slide tackle. And I even remember the commentators saying, I, you probably won't see a better slide tackle all season. I mean, it was just a fantastic performance all the way around. Alonso was great. Jorginho was awesome. Kovacic did really well. Rudiger and Luis never looked jaded or in trouble at all in the match. And it was just a proper Chelsea performance. And like I said, this could be a blueprint going into all the other games that we have against top six sides or sides that have a legitimate attacking threat. What about yeah. you, Andreas? That was a, a very nice game to go into after the positives that we talked about in the League Cup final. And yes, the result wasn't good, but there was signs of what could be. It was awesome to see that Sari didn't change his approach to the City game and believed in the fact that our players can, you know, absorb some of that pressure and then move forward. Um, <clears throat> did we stop pressing altogether? No, Zach mentioned it, that Conte was pretty much upfield, but it was more of a choosing when and where on the pitch our team was deciding to press. It was one of those things that instead of blindly pressing and being beaten by those two E1s, it was like, okay, if this initial press doesn't work, we all need to retract back. Wingers got back as well, and we're going to just force the other team into making a bad decision, a pass into a tough situation, or just make them shoot from like a ridiculous distance to where only a perfect shot's going to beat us. Ross Barkley and, distance. <laughs> right. Like something where you're like, why the hell would you shoot that? And sure enough. <laughs> so that's, that's every time that's... Ross Barkley takes a shot pretty much. <laughs> and and hey, that their closest effort was one of those where um, Harry Winks hit the crossbar. And again, like that only a perfect shot would have beat Caballero from that distance. So we didn't... By doing that defensively, we're a lot more solid. But then on the other end, like moving the ball forward, it just leaves so much space for our front three to run into with a good through ball. Like once we kind of move past the opposition, like when we absorb so much of that pressure, I would say Tottenham had eh, maybe eight players in our half. So if we get the ball back in our half and we implement – the essential, essentially the foundations of sorry ball where we're looking to move the ball quickly in two or three passes. We've already be beaten seven of their players and then our front three can do the rest. And that's exactly kind of what happened. I mean, Pedro's goal had their defender kind of turned his back on it. Like they were both running towards the Tottenham goal. And, and that's where you want to be for, for wingers who have that kind of like sixth sense of where the goal is and Georgie, uh, not Georgina, sorry, Pedro, with a quick touch to the inside, was able to take that shot left-footed. Um, so by giving ourselves the leisure, I guess, of, of starting further back in our own half to, to start our attack, we're actually benefiting ourselves because we still have that counter-attacking DNA at the end of it all. Like, sorry has done a lot, but this team has been playing that counter-attacking football for five, six years. So it's what they still fall back to. So it's working to their strengths with a little taste of sorry. And that's kind of what I'm I'm liking about the new tactics. We're we're playing to to play this little mid low block and then oh we got the ball. Boom. Let's go. So I I'm enjoying this. I think that this is huge against a, the tougher tougher opposition. But also I think it's something we can just implement outright. 
because when we lose is when we have all of our players in our opposition half and we get caught in the counter. So I was very pleased with the decisions for that game. And I wasn't the only person to to notice and realize that change. Uh, Antonio Rudiger, after the match, he was uh, quoted saying, I think the coach has adapted to new things. You saw the way we played against Tottenham and Manchester City. It was different than, uh, to the way we played in the first three months. In life, you need to adapt. This league is different than Italy, so you have to adjust a bit. So clearly, Sarri planned for these tactical adjustments in training. Uh, and the players, including Rudy, I mean, especially Rudy, Rudy, has been seeming to buy into it as well. So the real question here is, are you guys buying into it as well? Uh, I'll start off with you, Andreas. Are you buying into this change? Yeah, um, I this think it's... a new it's... team. <laughs> This I, I definitely am because here's the thing we were talking about earlier. If, if Sari didn't make a change and kind of quit this my football, I need to see my football, he would be gone by now. Two weeks ago, we were calling for, for a replacement. Like we are not, um, I guess, free of guilt in that sense because we were saying the same thing. If nothing changes, Sari's gone. But he surprised all of us in the last couple of games by kind of showing that maybe he's not as stubborn as we initially thought. You, you have to give up your long-term vision for the short term because right now without us getting that top four, there is no future for him. And this changes what he needed to do because that's the kind of that's a group of players he has right now. People who can absorb pressure and defend from behind and then pounce on the opportunity when it comes. So uh, right now, all of our games, especially the league games, actually all of our games are elimination games in my mind. We have control of what our destiny is in the league and we're in the elimination stages of the Europa League so this style will only benefit our players to get the results and also to kind of keep them from over exhausting themselves because we're not putting 90 minutes of full press ball and running back and forth so I, I'm all in for this this new tactical uh, scheme you know Mourinho said something interesting um about Maurizio Sarri this week, and he, and he spoke about you know how Italy is very different from the Premier League, and 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 he he even went into the Italian media, but that's kind of beside the point. But mentioned how Italy Italy is different than the Premier League, and that you kind of when you do make that transition to English football, you do have to kind of lose your identity um, or your footballing identity. He said you have to sacrifice a bit um, just to get used to the league and, and, and get used to the tactics. Now, before the season started we were all saying, let's give Sari a year, a full year, maybe even two. Um, lo and behold, halfway through this season, like Andres, just like he said, we were calling for his head. And now that things are going well and he's proving that he can make some changes and he's proving that he's finally – it actually seems like he's finally starting to study his opponents as opposed to only studying his own team. I mean he did get a little bit of that. And I think that's where the comparisons with Wenger come in, right, is where – Wenger was like, nope, we're going to play my style of football. I don't care who we're playing. I don't care if every player out on the pitch is six foot five. We're still going to do our thing. I don't care if we're playing Barcelona or, you know, fucking Huddersfield. Mauricio Sarri is finally starting to make those adjustments. And 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 Mourinho backed him to succeed. And, you know, as, as much as whatever you feel about Jose Mourinho, I still I still love the man. I mean, he, he's a legend at the club. But, you know, he's not the first big-name manager to come out and, and back Sarri to do well. So... You know, going into next season, if Sari is still here, seeing the improvement that we made um, as this season went on, now we'll have a full, um, a full off season. We'll have a full, um, you know, preseason. You know, the, the the players will be able to grasp an understanding of Sari ball. I'm using my air quotes um, even even more firmly, and then maybe we could even bring in a few more signings that are Sari approved. I think things are looking up for us, um, and I gotta be honest, it's the first time that I feel this way in a very, very long time. Yeah, um, let's let's go through the standout performance performers of the match. Uh, there's two in particular I wanted to highlight. The first one, Jorginho. Uh, I wanted to specifically highlight him because he's been why, getting. Why though? He's shit. <laughs> That's exactly it, why. Is it, because isn't he's... he the worst player on our team? Zach, thank you so much for uh, giving an example of the reason why I wanted to bring it up. Because he got a lot of hate. He's been getting a lot of hate recently. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll stand up and be a man and admit that I was one of those people as well. But 
you know, he, he's really he's really shown the the reason why Sorry is just so crazy about him, and he he wanted you know, and he wanted to bring him over so bad. That was the first move he made. Um, so through let me go through stats real quick: six tackles, two clearances, four interceptions. Um, one of our good friends of the pod and hashtag Rep Ultra, Ron. Ron Ron is a uh, is that is that Bone Daddy? Yes, it yes. is. Okay, I just want to make sure everyone <laughs> knows think, who we're I, talking I think, about. I think I think Ron has a better ring to it. Mm, I, I I I disagree, <laughs> strongly disagree. Uh, so Bone Daddy Deluxe or whatever his name is, uh, Ron. Uh, Bone Daddy Cool. B- Bone Daddy Cool. Right. <laughs> Deluxe. <laughs> Extreme. Uh, so oh. he asks. He's he's curious. Uh, what is your guys' take on Jorginho? Is he the most misunderstood player on our squad? Uh, I find him to be a stand-up guy who tries to do what he is told uh, told to do and has a lot of pressure on him. Zach, what do you, what's your take on Jorginho? I agree with Ron completely. Look, the performance against City was solid. Um, then he followed it up with arguably his best defensive display of the season in the Spurs match. And then he nets a match winner a few days later in the West London Derby. I mean, what else does the guy have to do for fans to start appreciating him? Uh, apparently, uh, he needs more assists, which is a joke. Um, I mean, we talked about it so many times. I feel like a broken record. But the positions he takes up on the pitch and his role in this side does not equate to statistical numbers. Like, it just doesn't. Like, if you, if you want to go look at stats, look how many forward passes he makes. Or, or go look at his defensive stats, just like this game. I mean, six tackles, two clearances, four interceptions. That's that's t- he won possession for us twelve times just based on those stats. He's class, and 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 he also seems like a proper professional as well. You know, he's gotten a lot of hate, and he's never spoken out of line. He's never a bad mouth the coaches or any of his teammates or the fans. He's never he's never really seemed to doubt his ability at all which is what a proper professional does. Um, and, and based on the reaction of his goal, uh, the, the reaction of his teammates on the goal, they seem to like him as well. So it, it's really easy to tell why, why Sari rates him. I mean, he goes out there, he puts in a shift every single match, and he does exactly what Sari wants. And as a coach, I mean, you, you really can't ask for more. Yeah, I'm with you guys here. I think he's severely misunderstood. But just like Sari, I think Jorginho has had to do a little bit of reflecting of his own. Um, Earlier this season, I was defending him by the lack of the work his teammates were putting around him. But in reality, Jorginho did have to look in the mirror as well. He's in a more physical league. He's not going to get all the space on the ball that he did in Italy. And off the ball, the buildup isn't going to be as slow. And people are going to just come at him and come at him fast. So I think that he's had to to learn to position himself better defensively. And off, offensively, like I mentioned before, like this, these last couple of tactics we've impl- deployed where we're luring the opposition into kind of taking the space in our half and then finding our, our chance to jump is only working to his advantage and his quick decision-making where instead of having to find like six passes to then move forward, he only has to maybe do a pass move, receive the ball back, and then he's already going forward. And he's putting the ball in the in the feet of our front three who are now probably they're facing a 3v3 or a 3v2 in our advantage. So I think he's, like you said, his professionalism, especially at the turn of the year, has been outstanding because, like again, just like we were talking about, sorry, we were talking about in a best case scenario with a new manager, Jorginho might not even play. And now, the last two games, he's been amazing, like key to what we've done well in the match. And he, this, the fans sang his name in a positive way on Sunday. So obviously, he's also looked into what he can do better to to benefit the team. And that's something that that can't go unsaid. Like his defensive work rate has increased severely recently. And I think that's what's made him kind of regain the fans' trust more so than than trying to get a goal or an assist. It's just the fact that Jorginho isn't getting completely outmanned in the midfield. He seems to have his foot in the right place and making things happen from there. I mean, you look – sorry, go ahead, Zach. 
I mean, you look at his defensive stats, right? Just the ones that we mentioned. And tell me that those aren't the type of stats that we would see from N'Golo Conte last year or the year before when he was playing in his natural role. See, but Zach, you're reading off the stats of one match. I mean, this is this has been a, this was an ongoing problem throughout the season, especially no, no. when you know we, you that. have a guy I... like N'Golo Conte out there. That that's where the frustration comes from. No, no, I I got that, and I addressed it when I talked about Conte. Like, look, we we know he's not playing in his best position, but Sarri's never going to play him there. I mean, we just have to kind of come to grips to that, and. I think it's worth noting how well Jorginho has been doing there in the last couple of games, especially. We talk about the adjustments Sarri's making. Andres touched upon it perfectly. Jorginho looked in the mirror and said, hey, look, I just need to work my ass off a little bit more. Or maybe I'm not as fit as I should be to be in this league. And then he put in the extra work. And it's showing. People aren't sprinting past Jorginho without effortlessly anymore. You know, it's it's. I have that image in my mind. Who was it early in the season? Was it Sun? dribbling past Jorginho yeah, then yeah, in the first time in the match. Yeah. Where Sun just basically like it Sun didn't even look like he was at top speed. I mean it just kinda looked like he cruised right past Jorginho and Jorginho looked like he never changed gears. And now we're starting to see I mean he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but we're seeing him adapt his game. And I think that little tactical tweak where Kovacic sits back and they both play the passing lanes together benefits them both because you look at Kovacic, he's not the greatest at pressing the ball either. I think Kovacic is better at reading the passing lanes and sitting in when the ball's in front of him as opposed to chasing it. And where you got N'Golo Conte, right, who's great at both, world-class at both, well, you have two guys that are willing to sit there and play those passing lanes, so why not put Conte a little bit further forward just to cause a little bit of havoc? Something I want to talk about that, that we didn't really mention, and sorry, I'm going on a little tangent here, but like the proof is in the pudding. You look at our dribbles attempted to, compared to our dribbles completed in this game. We only attempted 12 dribbles. We completed seven of them. Spurs attempted 28 and only were able to complete 10. So what's that telling me? It's telling me two things. One, N'Golo Conte is doing his job up top. And number two, Kovacic and Jorginho are doing their jobs right behind N'Golo Conte because now the passing lanes are shut down. So what's the only way for Harry Winks and guys like uh, uh, Sissoko who was playing next to him in that game? What's the only way for those guys to get out of pressure? It's to put the it, it, it's to dri it's to dribble. Or as a basketball term, put the ball on the floor, right? Like you got to put your head down and you got to beat a couple guys and create your own passing lanes. Earlier on in the season, I just felt like teams were just doing that simple one-two touch pass around us. It'd just be a simple wall pass and boom, all of a sudden they're in between the lines. Where now we're much more difficult to break down, even though Conte is playing higher up the field. But a lot of that has to do with the tactical setup, but it also has to do with Jorginho and, and Kovacic adapting their game defensively. And I think that's something that needs to be recognized. It's it's not that these guys can't do a job. It's just finding what jobs they can do and perfecting that. And I think Sari has noticed that, and 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 he's made the right adjustments as a result. I mean, it's it's, it's case in point. I mean, we, we picked up three valuable points against a side where I mean, yes, last week we were all thinking, oh shit, like I don't I don't think we're going to be able to grab anything from these matches. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Zach. I mean. This, the, if we if we continue to see this change in both the formation and and just Jorginho's uh, effort on the defensive side, I, I don't think there's going to be any fans out there screaming for either of their heads. You know, like that that's the only thing that was really frustrating fans. I mean, if if they're if they're going out there and doing what we expect them to do, I mean, obviously there's not going to be any, you know, any reservations from the fans, but. I think that another player who really gets a lot of this uh, same treatment, Marcus Alonso, and he had an amazing defensive match. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say amazing, but I think he did a decent job, especially on Sun. And that that goal you're talking about, the Jorginho one, um, from the beginning of the season, that was also a lot of that was also Marcus Alonso's fault. Um, yeah. But he he, you know, I'll, let me read through his stats real quick. He won three out of four aerials, um, four tackles, three clearances, two interceptions. You know, we talked a lot about him needing to be taken out of the firing line for a bit, um, kind of get his head right. Was this performance a result of that? Andreas, I'll, I'll start off with you. What do you think? Um, I don't know if it was about getting his head right. I think it was more about the message that Sari sent out because – it was more of like, uh, damn, I may lose my job. Sorry, chose Emerson, 
who played the Thursday prior to the League Cup to start in that League Cup. And I think that was a wake-up call. Like, Alonzo's last couple of months have not been acceptable. Like you mentioned, he has been getting a lot of hate. And to an extent, it's self-warranted. Like, it's hit on him. And by him not playing in that cup final, he realized that his spot, his spot in the starting 11 isn't assured. So I felt like he was more awake in, in this match, for lack of a better term. He mm-hmm. was perfectly positioned, I felt like, in a lot of the passes where he might have been maybe caught a couple of, of yards forward and been beaten by a long diagonal ball. Like you mentioned, he won a bunch of headers. I think that was mostly due to positioning and being in the right place. I thought his effort tracking back was a lot better. Again, it might be part of the tactics, but I really do think Alonzo got that wake-up call. Like He went from Conte, who was going to start him no matter what, to Sarri starting the year, calling him the best left back, then him getting a new contract. Like He was just breezing through week by week because nobody's going to take his spot. Come league final, he's he's not even on the bench. That's that's the kind of message Sarri was sending. Like, oh, I didn't need another left back. Emerson is doing the job. Like, damn, I just went from being one of the top paid players to potentially not having a spot on the team. Like, I need to change something. And I think he just played with a little bit more intensity. Maybe he's paying attention more in training now that that occurred. But it just seemed like he was, again, he's not going to be the greatest athlete, but what you can do to make up for that is play the tactics perfectly. And I just thought that he was a lot better in that sense uh, for this Spurs match. Yeah, he he has a little bit of a David Luiz in him, doesn't he? Where he, he has these moments of just complete madness where he just switches off completely and, and forgets that he's even a defender. Um, it's kind of like when you're playing FIFA and you switch players, but it switches to the wrong player on accident, and then all of a sudden your center back is like in the midfield and... <laughs> The other team just has like a breakaway. And you're like, fuck. It's uh, it's it's kind of like that where, you know, he just switches off, and, and you wonder like, wow, where's the Alonso that we saw under Conte? Because under Conte, he was arguably what? He was one of our best players. I mean, if I had to make a list of five of our best players, he'd probably be on it. But, you know, he was taken out of the firing line, and 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 Andres, I know you disagree, but I do think that that does. Uh, that does take a toll on on the professional footballer's mind, right? I mean, he sees Emerson coming in, um, getting his playing time and doing well, and and getting you know plaudits from the coaching staff and from the fans as well, which Alonso really hasn't gotten since Maurizio Sarri uh, called him the best uh, left back in the world. But in that in that man, in that uh, excuse me, Man City in that Tottenham match, he looked like the Marcus Alonso of last year. It was just a well-rounded performance. In possession, he wasn't losing the ball. He was pretty tidy. He got into decent attacking positions. He played in a few decent crosses, which is not something that's synonymous with Marcus Alonso whatsoever. But he also put in that shift defensively. And when I saw that he was starting at left back and I saw Sun was playing on his side, I was just thinking to myself, oh, shit, here we go. Poch is literally just going to feed Sun and and everything's going to go through him. And that's how they're going to make their money in this game. But he did a great job uh, uh, defending him. And again, a big reason for that is because Kovacic dropped in next to Jorginho. So he was able to provide that cover on the left-hand side. Maybe that was the real intention as to why Sari dropped Kovacic. Either way, it looked like a masterstroke on both ends. But this was easily his best performance since October and November. I just think seeing the player that you're competing for that spot with finally get an opportunity to beat you to that spot and do it effectively like Emerson has been doing. Because let's be honest, Marcus Alonso has not had uh, a challenger for that left back role since he came to the club up until the last month or so. Even when we purchased Emerson, we hardly used him. Um, but 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 now he's getting more playing time. He's doing well, and Alonso's realizing, shit, well, maybe I got to step my game up. I just need to I, – I, maybe I need to get refocused. Who knows what it is? As long as I keep seeing it, I'll be happy. But like I said, it was just easily his best performance since last year. And it's refreshing to see. Yeah, and I think we're arguing the same thing here. I'm just saying that I don't think it's one of those situations where it's like, oh, my superstar has had a few games. I'm just going to let him sit out and just kind of get his head right. I I really do think it was more of like – Squad rotation. No, no, no. Like like you said, and I said it too. It's like it's more of like the oh, shit moment. Like, oh, Emerson can actually do a – a part in this role like I need to not just cruise like for example there 
like when Christensen had the the big issue last season with with Barcelona, like Conte pulled him, and it was like, okay, this guy's a young guy. I need to pull him because another slight mistake, and he can lose his head. Like, I don't think that's a situation here with Alonso. I think it was more like, hey, dude, you need to wake up or you're out of here. Right. Not like, hey, you had a couple of bad performances. I'm going to, like, calm you down a bit. So that's what, what I was trying to get at. It was more of like, a, oh, shit, I'm going to get replaced stat if I don't make a change. I think, I think we've talked about this a lot of times, especially last season, just the need and the importance of having competition among positions, positions. just yeah. not to yep. make just not to, to make sure a player is not comfortable with with how they are and you know that that comfort obviously leads to what we what we saw and the effect of sitting them and you know allowing another player to come in and kind of make them think that they might lose their spot it really does have an effect like, i mean you mentioned two prime examples marcus alonso and christensen i mean it's 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 this is purely psychological i think and it's it's pretty yeah, amazing because they're they're both decent footballers and and that's of the course. thing like I mean think about think about if Mourinho was still our manager or or Conte for that matter if if Conte was our manager and Marcus Alonso was putting in the performances that he was uh, two three four months ago um, he would he would never be in the starting eleven again and I, I, really, I, I, I would, would be shocked I, if he I, was I, even in a match day squad I, Mourinho is the type of manager that would rather bring through a youth player that would that would be a yes man as opposed to bringing in someone. Like Alonso, that's gonna make a mistake every other match. Yeah, because I don't. I really don't think that Chelsea fans are irrational. I think that a lot of their frustrations with these kind of players is that they've seen them at their best and they know what they can do. And when they put yeah. on a couple matches in a row when they're playing like the way that that Marcus Alonso has been, it's really frustrating, you know. So um, something. It's it's really great to see him back in form. And you know that left foot of his. I, I said before that they should put that in a museum, um, but you know hopefully it's 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 trending back in that direction so um we did a twitter poll actually right after the match and had a had a total of a whopping 66 percent i mean sorry 66 Woo! votes total oh sorry some i forgot to include the four zeros after the 66 oh Maybe okay I... so six yeah, yeah yeah so six million six hundred thousand people <laughs> uh voted on our in our twitter poll because they really wanted to let us know who they thought was the man of the match um and the results Six percent said David Luiz, five percent said Rudiger, thirty-nine percent said Pedro, and fifty percent said Conte. For me, I I thought Pedro was the man of the match, and he, he did actually win man of the match, right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. And just, I'm not complaining. Yeah, for that goal and that tackle, that, like literally just those two plays. If if I didn't see anything else he did, those two plays are what cemented it for me. But. Um, Andreas, I mean Zach. I'll start off with you. Who, who who do you think was man of the match? I I'm not gonna argue with the with the Pedro shout, but I I think N'Golo Conte for me. I, he just the way he played in that game. I I can't see anybody else in the squad stepping into that role and doing even half even even half of that. Um. So yeah, I mean I'm gonna go with N'Golo Conte. I know it's a oh, actually it might be a popular opinion just because it's Conte. But Andreas, what do you think? I think you make a great point for Conte. He was that was a 10-10 performance. I I don't think he stepped and did anything wrong. He was great in the buildup. He was great defensively. He was yeah 10 out of 10. But we have not spoken about the true hero of this match. The man who when Spurs was come were coming at us, being very direct in those last 10 minutes, let us take a deep breath and just let out a sigh of relief in. Our best striker, 100% conversion rate for Chelsea, Kieran Trippier. <laughs> did you? I, I, did I send you guys that tweet from April of 2014 that he he put? Come oh, on, Chelsea. Yeah, he Wasn't said. Was he a Chelsea supporter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Weirdest he said that he posted thing. it after his goal. Come on, Chelsea. <laughs> oh, oh my God, that's, that's and nuts. And William. Uh, his his post of him kicking the ball in he said just in case <laughs> it's, that was so hilarious i love that, that was so funny but yeah that that own goal really was just kind of it kind of let us breathe just mm. relax a bit because in the last 10 minutes um lots of she came on because sorry i was like i need some height in here they're pumping a lot of balls into the box and that sub was perfect too but yeah the fact that 
Kieran Trippier turns around and sees William coming, and he's like, oh, shit, passes the ball, never looked to see where Yoris was, oh. just for it to, to be an own goal was just fantastic. I mean, I, was, I, anybody, was anybody watching the ball roll, like, into the box and hoping that William would stop sprinting just so we could get the satisfaction of a Spurs player rolling it into the goal, just to, like, guarantee it? Because for a second, I thought William was going to count. I, I thought William was going to catch up and tap it in. I, I was mean, like, no, 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 just, just stop, just let it roll. For in. me, I, I mean, let's <laughs> enjoy I, it. I, I'll take any goal I can, but I'd rather, I'd rather uh, win off of two of our own goals. But you know, just, just for pride's sake. But I mean, if William ran and tapped that in, <laughs> I wouldn't really consider that to be any different than an own goal. But uh, <laughs> it, it is, it is more humi- Anything that's more humiliating for the Spurs, I'll take. And I think that's, for, yeah, for... that's the point you're getting at, right? <laughs> For yeah, me, it was basically. just the fact that, like, no play is dead until it's dead. And that's why I want to give so much credit to William because he could have easily just been like, oh, okay, he's going to pass it back to Yuri's. I'm not going to do anything. But because he did make Kieran Trippier look back and be like, oh, damn, that cost the own goal. And it's like, if there's any kids out here listening and you're, like, in in high school or in a club team, like, this is the prime example. Like, you play until the whistle blows. Like, that own goal was created by the pressure. It starts with Giroud winning a tough 50-50 header and then Willian thinking, I'm 50 yards away, but I might be able to force an error. And sure enough, he did. So, um, yes, it was an own goal. Yes, it was super embarrassing. But I got to give credit where credit is due. And, and Willian, good job on the pressure there. Uh, I think that kind of uh, is a good transition to our final thoughts. Anyone have any uh, final thoughts about this match? Yeah, I want to say Pedro had an awful first half. I remember thinking, like, get Pedro off this pitch. Like, I'm done with him. Just for him to have, like, a fantastic second half and earning that man of the match Mm -hmm. on both the offensive and defensive end because that nutmeg goal, he took it, like, no angle with his left foot, which we both, we all know we don't have a left-footed winger. And then on the other end, that slide tackle was just, could have easily been, a goal at that point so yeah pedro went for it was a night and day performance for him and i'm glad it turned out for the better for us um i mean i don't really have any final thoughts the only final thoughts i ever have after a spurs match is fuck tottenham hotspur fuck christian erickson fuck harry kane fuck deli ali fuck eric dyer they could all fall in a really deep hole that they can't climb out of for all of i for for all i care um and and i you know uh, beating Spurs, it, it for me, there's just nothing better at all as what, a Chelsea fan. What about Harry Winks? No, uh, Harry Winks too. But like, I feel he can go yeah. fuck himself too. Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah, I mean, he's gonna I be have. he's gonna be Brighton and Hove Albion's center mid in a few years. Just, <laughs> just just wait and see. I mean, that's the thing. And because because Poch is there, the only reason why they're in the position they're in is because of Poch, right? Like Pochettino is literally. And he's an incredible coach. Like, I'm not going to take that away from him because that's just, like, football blasphemy. But, like, he's a great coach. But you look at a lot of those players that are in the team. I can't wait to see what happens at his Spurs side if Poch leaves and they're able to keep, like, a decent amount of their players or at least, like, eight of their starting 11 because they're going to be totally shit. Individually, they're just not, like, the greatest team ever. But but under Poch, they're so organized and they're always tactically disciplined and whatnot. But guys like Harry Winks, like, watch, he's going to be playing next to, you know, you name it. Like, fucking West Ham, for all I care. Like, he's going to be the new Mark Noble in a few years. It's just, <laughs> it, these, these guys, half their players are shit. But just because <laughs> Poch is their coach, they're great all of a sudden. It's... Yeah, it's frustrating. But so hopefully uh, Real Madrid's Pochettino will leave sometime soon. I don't want to see him go to Man United. But yeah, I guess I'll let that be my final thought. Yeah, it's really frustrating when people wrongly think that Tottenham players are good when when we we really know in reality (laughs) that they're all shit. Uh, So No bias. No bias. No bias in that At all. Um, So let's go on to this next Derby match. Chelsea 2, Fulham 1. Um should not have been as close as it was but um it it really this is just a prototypical Chelsea match where we dominated and either barely squeak out with a win or a draw but this one thankfully was the former um so let me read through the lineup Keppa back in back in the lineup Emerson Rudiger Christensen and Dave manning the back line midfield of 
um, Jorginho, Conte, and Barkley, and a front three of Hazard, Willian, and Iguain. So as I mentioned earlier, this was a match where we really dominated. I mean, 20 shots, including 7 on target, compared to Fulham's 12 shots, 5 on target. Um, 75% aerial duels won, 64% possession. Um, I, I mentioned Kepa. Again, he missed out uh, against Spurs due to that uh, Carabao Cup incident, uh, the nonsense that ensued after that. Sorry spoke to uh, about his attitude in the in, in the last week and how as a man sorry rates Kepa just as much as he does as a player. Um, this is this is exactly the way that I, I envisioned it turning out. Um, and amazingly, Kepa had his best performance of the season. Um, he he did win man of the match as well. Um, this is mostly due to the five key saves he had with a couple of them being in the second half to preserve the preserve that lead and um, ensuring that we we got out of there with five points um, I'm sorry with uh, three points <laughs> um, nice. yeah with a five point win that would be uh, that would have been nice yeah I know it definitely uh, would cover up some room um, but what, what do you guys think a bounce back performance like this means for Kepa does this does this kind of change the way you think about him uh, Zach, I'll start off with you. What do you think? I mean, I've always been high up on him. I've never really said anything negative up until the Carabao Cup incident. Um, look, the guy clearly went out there with a point to prove, and and he did just that. Um, nobody's mentioning the save he made in the first half off that Mitrovic volley. Jeez. Which was just fucking insane. Because here's the thing. Like, nine out of ten times, any other Premier League keeper lets that ripple in the back of the net. But but the the thing that makes Kepa great is he's not he's not big he's not necessarily as long as Courtois or, or Peter Cech were like they were they were big goalkeepers like they 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 were physically intimidating because they're tall they're long you know they they're you know just big guys in general and Kepa's not really that big but the thing Kepa has is his anticipation I I think what's I I think we paid seventy million not only for you know, what we're getting on the outside with like his physicality and his ball playing ability, but what we're also getting in between the ears mentally. And I, I, the, the way he positioned himself on that Mitrovic save, he knew exactly where the shot was going to go. And he started moving his feet before Mitrovic even made contact with the ball. That's the reason why he made that save look so easy. Like on TV, when you're watching it in real time, it looked like he just flailed his body just for some like extra theatrics. But he was actually shuffling his feet like a split second before Mitrovic made contact with that ball, anticipating that the shot was going to go to that side of the goal. And then obviously he reacted really well with his hands. Look, in terms of his whole performance as a whole, he made more than one decent save. He kept us in the match. If we had you know, a, a, a second-tier goalie, if you will, or, or maybe if Caballero was in the game, maybe one of those would have snuck in. But what he showed me in that Fulham match is that this guy's potential is nothing short of world-class. He's not there yet, but he definitely has potential to do it. We know he's the modern-day goalkeeper with his ball-playing ability. He could pick out a pass, but we also know that he could sh he could stop shots now. And, that's, and, and make no mistake about it, I think he's going to continue doing this for the rest of the season because – when you let a penalty in in a in a penalty shootout in a cup final like he did with Agueros, that stays in your head. And for most goalkeepers, they probably would have let that stay in their head in the Fulham match, and they probably would have made another ricket somewhere down the line. Kepa had a little scary moment with Bobble, like trying to get on the end of like you know like a, mm -hmm. I think he dropped across, but the, I was never really too worried about that. But the way he rebounded was just so impressive, and I think it shows a lot about his mentality. But it also shows a lot about Sari as a coach as well, because in the pre in the pre match press conference, I was thinking to myself like, you know maybe he should. I I, I wouldn't necessarily argue if Kepa sat out in the Fulham match also, just so Sari could like further his point. But Sari was mentioning how you know Kepa's a man and. And, and and I would never do that to someone, a man like that, you know, like I respect him as a, both a player and a man. And you saw Kepa's attitude in his Fulham match and you know exactly what Sari is thinking. I just think it's great man management on his part, but also, you know, that willingness to step up to the plate and be that leader when we need him to be. So, you know, fair play to Kepa. I, I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, yeah, I don't think I've ever or any of us here in the pod have ever put in question his ability as a keeper. Mm -hmm. if, if there's anything about him, he's a freaking athlete. Like the guy's yeah. not the tallest keeper, but he makes up for it by the fact that he covers a lot of ground where his height and like length is, is lacking. So 
yeah, his in terms of his shot stopping, I thought he was he had a perfect game. You mentioned the the small drop and and if you really want to nitpick and and find something to criticize is maybe the fact that he didn't set up his team properly for the for the goal we conceded. But yeah, I this performance and the fact that he was selected happily makes this whole Keppa Gate Keppa versus Sorry thing just go away. Mm-hmm. It's done. It was obviously that the punishment was the one game. Keppa is obviously still our number one. And like you mentioned, we he played well. Caballero had a fantastic oh Caballero wasn't really tested, but he did get the clean sheet against Spurs. So he had a good game. You get all this in the media and how much you might not play and all this, and then boom, you follow it up with a man of the match performance. Like that's it. The the media is not going to point out the fact that he had a fantastic game, but they can't also put another negative headline out there, and I'll take that as a win. So I'm very happy with his performance. We needed him to to have this kind of performance because I just felt like the team was fatigued heavily in the second half. So glad that we can count on him when you know the wheels stop turning in terms of uh, the team's performance. Yeah. Um... Again, we, we talked about Jorginho's performance in the last match, but this one in particular, Jorginho finally breaks open his open field duck and uh, scores a banger. <laughs> I mean, in, in, in compared to the other shots he, he's taken, this was a banger. Um, I've seen so yeah, many he didn't, times. He didn't, he didn't skip before he struck the ball this I know. time. <laughs> <laughs> no skipping and hitting it right to the goalie and rolling it to him. Oh my God! But I mean, even that that penalty aside, I, I've I've seen him take so many shots from that exact spot and just sail them into the stands. I mean, the fact that this one was on target was amazing, and the fact that he scored was was even more amazing. Um, I think uh, at black emoji, one of our, um, I mean, he, he I think he, I think he's also a hashtag rep ultra as well. Um, yeah, at I, this think, point. I think we could give him the title. All right, congratulations, out of black emoji, officially an ultra. Um, he, he, I think he agrees with me. How did Bugino, uh, turn into Golino? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I like that one. Um, I mean that that's there's not not really a question <laughs> with that, but I mean it's just really nice to see him do something like that. Um, but. Let's let's talk a little bit about the team selection and the substitutes that um, were made in this match. So, first, Kovacic, uh, Kovacic for uh, Jorginho at the wait, wait, no not, no not it was Barkley? all the way around. Um, was it? No, Ross Barkley yeah, he, came in for. Uh, I'm, I'm totally I'm totally messing around. I'm used to this Jorginho. Oh. <laughs> I'm used to the Kovacic Barkley yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. A little shock. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Making fun I, of Sam's boy Andres. No, I, I was I, more I, making fun of the fact that Sari had like this automatic sub of Kovacic, Barkley, or the other way around. I've already declared Ross Barkley isn't my boy anymore, but I mean he, he's 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 <laughs> he's, he's kind of growing on me again. But um, <laughs> it, it's a <laughs> yeah. So um, this is a again. Sorry, Kovacic coming on for Jorginho. Right, right. Kovacic coming on for Jorginho. Sorry, I got I got distracted by you talking shit about my boy. Um, <laughs> so Kovacic coming in, playing the Regista role that we've uh, learned to kind of accept that he, he's going to be our backup Regista, uh, and it it does seem like that's going to be the way going forward that he's going to be the backup for Jorginho for the rest of the season. Um, what do you guys think? How do, how do you think he's done with that role? Uh, I'll start off with you, Andreas. What do you think? Yeah, I think for a guy that hasn't played that role much this season, he's doing well. He's definitely got the attributes for it. And something Zach mentioned earlier is that Kovacic does operate better deeper into the field. And I think we're playing to his strengths. I also think that it's a smart sub in such a kind of ugly second half to bring in the more physical guy that will kind of get into the hard tackle and and kind of just be a little bit more of an athlete in that position. So... Uh, I'm excited to to continue to see Kovacic grow in the role. I kind of want to see him be deployed at, in in the Regista for a full 90 in in a game with with a little bit more weight to it. So maybe against Kiev in the Europa League. But for for the fact that we didn't end up getting a backup and we had to find one within the squad, I think that this has been the best case scenario. Yeah, I mean. 
there's really no other option in terms of who else to play there. And, and you know, if you're going to talk about natural ability, I, I think Kovacic is actually more naturally suited to the Regista role than he is um, in the other two midfield positions that are available. So, again, I, I, I'm not totally against it. Um, my main quarrel with this is that we didn't bring in another midfielder in the January transfer window, which would have been nice because, frankly, I just don't think Kovacic is going to be at the club come this time next year. You know, Real Madrid is never easy to negotiate with in terms of price. And to be completely honest, I don't think Kovacic has shown us enough that he's worth, you know, the 50 or 60 million that Real Madrid are probably going to quote us. So, yeah, I mean, moving moving on as like the rest of the season, you know, continues, I, I would like to see him at the Regista role um, if Jorginho needs to be rested. The next, the next sub that uh, he made, Pedro on for Hazard. So this is at the 74th minute. A lot of people were up in arms about Cho not starting and then missing out on a chance to make another appearance. And instead, sorry, brought out Pedro uh, in a match like this. Um, what's more disappointing to you guys? The fact that he didn't start or the fact that he'd even get a run out at all? Zach, I'll start off with you. What do you think? No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't disappointed at all, to be completely honest. Um, really? okay. I, I thought. I, I thought Cho should have started the game, um, but seeing uh, Willian start, I wasn't uh, necessarily um, irritated because Willian usually performs well in the big matches. But you know, Pedro was one of our standout players against Spurs, and and he scored the match winner. You know, I, I think Sari rates his defensive qualities as well. You know, I think that had a lot to do with it just because Pedro's more, uh, he's a more aggressive in, in, in tackling. He, he tracks back as we saw in the Tottenham match, but he's also defensively disciplined because he has that experience. But, you know, for me, there's no question. The, the question isn't, is could Cho be as productive as William or Pedro? I, I think he can, but you know, this sub was just more a combination of playing the more informed player who was Pedro um, and, and someone that, Sorry, trust more defensively. Who I mean, out of between Pedro, Willian, and and uh, and Cho, I think Pedro's actually our best, uh, you know, defensive winger that we have. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too too mad about it. I would have liked to see Cho play a little bit more. For me personally, I had more of an issue with uh, Ross Barkley being on the pitch that long and not Loftus Cheek. But apparently, Loftus Cheek is you know uh, battling like a, a, another, uh, you know, he's he's not he's not up to full fitness yet. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andres, what, what do you think? Were, were you bummed that Cho wasn't in a starting 11 or, or, uh, was yeah, actually, actually yeah, I was because come at the, again, we're talking about the fact that we just played three games in seven days. And I thought that a few of our players were already looking tired from Tottenham, which was a hard fought 90 minute game after a 120 minute game. And I was thinking, okay, this is the perfect chance to let hazard breathe. Let him start on the bench. If we need our best player to beat Fulham, fair enough. You bring him in in the second half. So I was extremely disappointed. Like at this point, you're talking about players in form. It's like Cho has a handful of games and he's got more goals and assists together than some of our starters. It's like I, I at this point, I really don't get what else he has to do to earn that Premier League start more you, consistently. You don't like, – you don't think it's a result of just the team not doing the business because I mean, this was an open game and we're playing the worst defense in the premier league. Like we should have scored three or four goals on them and right. didn't. And, let, and let, let's say, let's say we did that Cho would have came on instead of Pedro, but we had to be defensive. So that's why yeah. I wasn't mad about that. sub. yeah, but that's why I'm mad about the starting. Like, I don't care that I, I agree that Pedro was the, the smart sub, but that could have easily been Cho starting and Pedro coming on for him. And, and that's the part that bugs me. Yeah. Because Hazard looked tired. Hazard, we didn't talk about it, but Hazard did not have a fantastic game on Sunday. It was his worst game of the season. Yeah, yeah. Hazard yeah. was dead tired. Like, and, and that's the point I'm trying to make is like, why do that against the worst team in the league? Like, this is literally the worst team in the league. They fired their manager on Thursday. Um, they're not looking like they're going to be getting out of the relegation zone. Like, why not? Like, what is the risk to start him? Again, you put Hazard on the bench. You you were like oh man zero zero halftime, you know maybe maybe I put in Hazard take out the kid he, he obviously didn't do too got too good good try Cho we'll we'll do better next time but the fact that he didn't get a single minute yes I know we have Europa League and he's definitely gonna start on Thursday but again we 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 have this whole 
quote from Sari that he's ready and we know that there's interest from abroad and that his eyes are elsewhere like at least throw him throw him into the fire in these easy games where Hazard again he was exhausted and he didn't look like he was red trying to to make anything happen either mm-hmm. and and maybe that's the kind of thing that you do and I know we're about to talk about Loftus Cheek and Barkley so I won't touch on that but yeah I'm disappointed at the fact that he didn't start because I agree Pedro was the smart sub there we weren't playing well, and it was one of those things where you just wanted to secure your lead. So I'm not trying to put in the young, energetic guy that's trying to prove himself offensively that might put you in a tough situation in a counterattack. But I still don't get the point of not starting him and take and pulling him early if we were in that same situation we were in when Pedro came on. Again, it's that recurring theme of us being like too over-reliant on Hazard, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But I think you're spot on, Andreas. I mean... Him getting the start against Fulham, I mean, wh- why is this the kind of match that you need to start your best, you know, your best player when really this should have been a cake match? But given the situation, obviously I don't think we Pedro. Could, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, when you look back, I mean, we only won two one, so like we can't really be too mad about the starting sure. eleven that sorry pick because in the end he still got it right. I mean, sure. it's easy to it's easy to look back on a loss and say we should have done this, we should have done that, but overall on the day, like. The lineup selection was an odd one to begin with because there wasn't as much rotation as there should have been. Like, I agree. I think Cho should have started, but he didn't. But the problem was there wasn't much rotation in any of the other positions. Like, yeah, David Luiz got a rest. We still saw Rudiger out there. We still saw Azpilicueta, who hasn't been rotated all season. Um, you know, Emerson returned to the lineup. And to be honest, Emerson didn't look too sharp in that game. You know, guys like uh, Barkley getting another run out who played against City in the in the cup final. Like, there wasn't too much rotation in general. But, again, I mean, we can't really argue about the starting lineup being the right selection or not because we got the three points at the end of the day. And, and relatively unscathed. Like, I'm mm-hmm. shocked that nobody got injured because the first thing I thought when I saw that lineup is someone's going to pull up with a muscle injury. Like, these guys are too tired. They played what? Uh, 210 minutes of football in the last seven days so you know it's uh I, I guess my gripe isn't like an immediate one it's more of like a okay we still again we're in we're in two competitions and from now until the end of the season I'm pretty sure we're playing two games a week yeah and so we might not have seen an injury here but if these changes don't happen like things build up and Ukraine is not around the corner for these guys. So that trip isn't going to be an easy one when it comes. It's not this week, but next, I believe. And we need to be sharp in every single one of the remaining games. Like we can't drop a single point the way everyone else is playing. And that's why I was thinking, you know, when you're playing the worst team in the league, if they're prepping for hazard and you throw them Cho, you're, you're, you're throwing them for a loop. Like there's not that much tape on Cho. He really, he's an unknown quantity and the guy that's trying to prove himself. He's 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 dynamic enough to to mix it up a little exactly, bit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so it, it's more about the fact, like, I'm glad we got the three points. Don't get me wrong. It's more about the fact that, like, did Hazard really need to play that game? Like, that many minutes? Like, that's the part that I'm talking about. Because we are over-reliant on Hazard. And there are going to be bigger games where we need Hazard to be at his top. Like, his top. We do play Manchester United in a couple weeks. Yeah. And he needs to be completely healthy if we have a chance at getting the full three points there yeah and and the 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 kiev game is actually on thursday so you know again not a very big turnaround for the guys on on Mm -hmm. on the squad but um all right the last the last sub that we will go over um rlc coming in for ross barkley my boy getting the start over your boy zach (laughs) uh but i mean i think if we're being unbiased here, um, I think we all really anticipated RLC would get the start in this one, especially considering the fact that he, he scored against them earlier in the year uh, at the bridge. So, Zach, I'll start off with you because I know how much it hurts you to answer this question. What's Ross Barkley doing that RLC isn't? That's uh, making that's warranting him the starting position. Staying healthy, and the thing is, is like. In any other one of Ross Barkley's years of his career, you know, it, it wouldn't be very difficult to stay more healthy than him. But he's done a really good job at staying fit. Like, he, he takes care of himself. And and I think it actually shows on the pitch. I'm talking about Ross Barkley. You know, he, he's gotten a lot better defensively 
Um, and, and he does cover a lot of ground. I think that's something that's very underappreciated about his game. You know, he does track back. He do, he's great at tracking his runners. He's gotten better in in in, uh, in the defensive phase, as Sorry would have called it. But it's in the attack where he just drives me crazy because there's so much quality and potential there, but he just can't think or act quickly enough to play the fluid, fast-tempo football that Sorry wants when we're in possession. You know, like in the whole match, uh, I did a little bit of research because I was curious about this. And the whole match, Barkley had 85 touches total. Zero touches inside the opposition box. Now, Loftus-Cheek came in in the 78th minute when our backs were against the wall and Fulham was on the front foot. He had 21 total touches and two touches in the box in the 12 minutes he was out on the pitch compared to Ross Barkley's 78 minutes. Um, you know, for me personally, I think Ross Barkley has got his, he's gotten his chances. He's been decent at times, but RLC has to be the number one in that position um, and, and I think it's just a matter of when, not if, because I did a little research after I wrote down my, 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 my little notes here on the script, but I didn't realize that, you know, he's still not completely match fit yet, even though he's been back for a few weeks. So that had a huge factor to play. And I think sorry was being smart in the way of starting, uh, Ross Barkley. Let's, you know, be somewhat defensively solid to start the match. And then we could bring in Loftus-Cheek if we need a little bit more firepower. And if we're winning by a few goals, I could still throw him out there just so, you know, he can mess around and get back in the flow of things. Obviously, we weren't that defensively solid, but again, we won the match, so you can't really criticize there. But yeah, I mean, the only reason why he's not starting at this point is because Ross Barkley uh, is because Ross Barkley has managed to stay healthier longer. And then, I mean, you, you factor in the preseasons as well, but, you know, it, I, I think Loftus Cheek is a brilliant enough player to, to you know, take over that spot. It's just a matter of him getting that run of games that he needs. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, at this point, there's nothing that makes me think that Loftus Cheek shouldn't be starting if it wasn't for health concerns. Uh, I actually want to give credit to to the London is Blue podcast for putting this thought in my head that perhaps management upper management is telling has spoken to him and told him look back injuries can be kind of career ending we are gonna kind of pull uh pull a page out of like the playbook of baseball teams and and, and kind of measure your minutes kind of like they do with pitchers who are coming back from injury to to prevent anything from slowing down his progression going into next season because at this point the guy gets it I think Sari trusts him because, again, he put him into the, the end of the Tottenham game because he wanted lots of chic to, to prevent anything else from happening. Plus, he creates chances, like you mentioned. So it might be a weird way of managing the, the maybe prevention of an injury or, or managing the fact that he's still kind of got something tweaked. But it, it would be a a cardinal sin to us fans and to the people watching for lots of chic not to be our out and out uh, starter either by the end of this season when he is fully healthy or for the start of next season because that guy just he's just something else man like I, I have nothing bad to say about the guy mentality wise tech technical ability wise athleticism wise like the sheer size of the lad yeah, like for years <laughs> I've been I've been hoping for for this to happen. Like I remember when Pogba was was rumored to leave Juve and of course we were linked obviously to no avail he was going back to United. But like we had that player in here this whole time and he's shown flashes of it this season. We just need to find out how to keep him healthy. Once we get there, the sky's the limit for Loftus-Cheek and and it's just obnoxious that the alternative is Barkley, who at this point, again, you can't talk poorly of his professionalism, but something's just not clicking in his head to make it happen on the field. I, I don't know if he's, he's overthinking. He's I, just I don't the know wrong style of player for this system. Yeah, um, maybe that. Maybe it's just that simple, and maybe Barkley just needs to go to. It's one of those maybe like big fish in a small pond that when now he's in the big pond, he just doesn't quite mesh. I think that's but, more likely than assuming that it's management making the decision because that's, that's also assuming that we have a competent front office, you know, but, well, which is definitely well, when, not something that's the case. When he was playing at Everton, you know, he was playing in systems that were, that were very direct, right? The, the right. Teams that would, 
that would nick the ball off the opponent and then hit them hard on the counter while either playing the long ball or just like quick build-up play. Ross Barkley has a lot of time in the ball um, considering the positions he's taking up and on the field. And I just think that's playing a huge part because there's times where there is a pass available and he just completely misses it because he has so much time on the ball. He doesn't know what to do. You know, he, he always gets caught in those, in those two minds of, Oh shit, should I pass? Or should I like take another touch and maybe dribble into space? <laughs> and it just happens too often for me. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of over it at this point. You know, I think if anything, if we do wind up keeping Ross Barkley moving into next year, like there's no doubt in my mind that he will improve because, you know, sorry, uh, we, as much crap as we've been talking about him and you know, the last few weeks, I think if the last week showed anything, it's that he could improve certain players and build them back up. I mean, just look at what he did with Marcus Alonso. Um, and and maybe he can have that effect on Ross Barkley, but I just, for me, he's just a rotational guy, especially in a Chelsea team. You know, it's not a knock on him. He's a great footballer. You know, if he was at West Ham or went back to Everton, I mean, he would be in the starting 11 almost every week. But at Chelsea, he's just, he's a role player. He's a squad player. All right, so uh, any final thoughts on the match while we before we end this uh, first part and then continue it on uh, part two? Yeah, I think Iguain is is still maybe one step back from hitting full force. Um, I wish that he would have clicked a little bit sooner with the team. Maybe it's a fitness and, and just adapting to the league, but he definitely missed a couple chances that should have gone in, but at the same time, it was nice Jorginho to see that. should have had an assist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I'm glad he finished the shot he did because I don't know if our strikers previously would have been so clinical there. But at the same time, like he he still needs to figure it out because he could have had a, a brace, if not a potential hat trick here, if he was uh, firing in all cylinders. Um, I don't really have any final thoughts on the game. I thought it was sloppy. I thought that we were very open, but a lot of that was attributed to the fact that this was our third game in the last seven days, and right. one of them was a cup final, and the right. other one was probably our most taxing game physically of the season against Spurs. So happy with the – I mean, not necessarily happy with their performance, but happy with the result and just ready to move on. Yeah, that's it for me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that that wraps up part one, right? That's pretty much it. So um, make sure you guys check out part two. We're going to be answering a lot of Twitter questions. Uh, we, we've had a few about the upcoming transfer ban that we're going to address. Um, and then we're also going to preview the Dynamo Kiev match and Wolverhampton match that's coming up on Sunday. So um, make sure you guys check out part two. If not, go check out our uh, Twitter page at Romans Empire Pod. You could also email us RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Um, but you're not going to do that right now because you're going to go download uh, part two right now. So we'll see you then.